listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Have you ever met somebody where they've got an interesting background? It's nothing like the background that you've had, but everything they say is something that you learn from. Well, that's that's my experience that I had with Phil Johnson when I interviewed him for this particular show. After a career in sales in the semiconductor industry, Phil got into executive coaching. And our topic today is the value and importance of emotional intelligence. Now, this is something I think is going to apply to everybody listening, regardless of how long you've been in the working world. This is something that's going to help you succeed. I've also put some interesting links that Phil shared with me on the show notes, so make sure you check that out. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence, Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Phil today. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Our guest today is Phil Johnson. He's an author, a coach, and an expert on emotional intelligence and leadership and other things. And today we're going to talk about the value and importance of emotional intelligence. Phil, thanks for joining me on the show. Oh, thank you, Scott. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on your show. So, Phil, I listened to your audiobook, The Servant Warrior Leader, and I felt like it was just a conversation with an old friend. I learned a lot, and I like the idea of talking about emotional intelligence. And the people listening to this show, they're in a role that's very special. They're sales people, they're professional uh, service providers that are in a rainmaking capacity, and they have to earn trust of people that they're in front of to sell work to and also those that they have to lead within their organizations. So let's kind of get some working definitions here. When you talk about emotional intelligence, what's the definition of that? How would you describe that? Emotional intelligence is the ability to feel the fear and anxiety that change in innovation triggers in us and be able to move through it towards what it is we're trying to achieve, the vision of our desired results, as opposed to allowing that fear and anxiety to keep us trapped in our comfort zones. Got it. And how is that significant in terms of people that are in a business role, if they're managing a team or if they're in front of prospective clients? What's the significance of that? Oh, great question. It's the key. It guarantees career, corporate, and personal success. And if you want, uh, we can maybe start off this conversation. I can give you an example of a company who's currently valued at about $2 trillion dollars. And they're doing about $600 billion a year in revenue. Sure. Their primary hiring focus is emotional intelligence. Well, that's interesting. Tell me about that. The company is Apple. That's why when you walk into an Apple store, that energy you feel is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. They're not trying to sell you anything. They're trying to understand your pain and, if possible, offer a solution to your pain. Whether you buy anything or not is secondary to their desire to want to serve you. They want you to have a great experience, and maybe you'll tell your friends and they'll tell their friends. And if you think about it, that energy in that environment is a very different energy from the energy coming out of these stores surrounding that environment. Right. That's so right. that's an example of emotional intelligent environment. So when you, in your book, you talk a lot about leadership. And uh, one thing I thought was interesting, you talked about energy vampires. Well, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean? And why is that significant in the workplace? 
Boy, you've hit the nail on the head. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to explain, if you don't mind, in about three minutes, the root cause of all drama, chaos, and conflict everywhere in the world. Yeah, tell me about that. And the solution. And it involves energy physics. We're only actually conscious about 3 to 5% of the time. The rest of the time, we're relying on our habits to determine our behavior and our results. And that's fine. But when we're born, we're not born with a conscious mind. We don't start to become conscious until we're about a year or so old. But we are born with an unconscious mind. And we immediately start wiring up our brain, creating the neural network pathways that become our habits. And a lot of those habits cause us to unconsciously give away our energy. And we do it in a myriad of ways, how we communicate, listen, take responsibility, make decisions, all sorts of ways. But when we give away our energy, it creates an energy deficit in us. So at the same time we're giving away our energy, we have to be trying to replace that energy by trying to steal it stealing it from other people. And that is the root cause of all drama, chaos, and conflict. So what I do is I show people how they're unconsciously giving away their energy, and I give them better habits to practice to stop doing that. And when you stop giving away your energy, your need to steal the energy of other people goes away because you don't need it. And in that process, the outcomes of that process are you become a more inspirational leader You develop your emotional intelligence. You become more conscious of what's going on in you and around you. It frees you from ego-based fear, which leads to higher levels of trust and engagement, and that guarantees career, corporate, and personal success. That's great. So I know within organizations, especially law firms, I work a lot in law firms, it seems like many of them just don't have people that think this way. It seems like it's based on fear where it's based on ego, it's based on hubris, and the trust isn't there. How do you recommend those in leadership roles? How do they change? How do they make those improvements? Develop their emotional intelligence. And and you're right that the legal profession is by nature intended to be adversarial. It it tends to be win-lose. And that doesn't promote trust and high levels of engagement. And it's a reflection of our society as a whole. It's a reflection of our businesses as a whole. So lawyers are representatives of a win-lose model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, I've seen some firms where they actually have that kind of trust. And I think the one thing I noticed when I first got into legal in 2009, I've been in recruiting since 1995, and I've worked with all different types of organizations. What I realized within legal is that there's a void of leadership. That that's just something that's not really taught. There are some firms where they are a little bit more innovative and they've done a lot of leadership development. And I think that's the key word that is that change. In your book, you talk about being able to inspire discretionary energy from others, that we can arouse that discretionary energy and channel it in a way that is productive. Give me some examples. What have you seen in organizations where you've worked with a leader, you coached that leader, and you saw a tangible result in the workplace? Let me make a comment, first of all. And um, leadership's not a position. It's Mm -hmm. a choice. Mm -hmm. We all need to become better leaders. If our behavior doesn't inspire followers, we're not a leader. doesn't matter what our title is. So... Let's go back about 500 million years. 
we've evolved over the centuries from tribes, from herds, mm-hmm. and we've had to develop the ability to sense whether somebody's trying to help us or eat us. So we have these specialized brain cells in our prefrontal cortex that brain scientists call mirror neurons, and your your listeners or your viewers can can Google that. That's what helps. That's how we're able to walk into a room and sense the energy in the room. Or if we're having a conversation with somebody, we can sense whether they're trying to help us or hurt us, whether they're trying to help us or whether they're being authentic or whether they're trying to manipulate us. So as you learn to stop giving away your energy, uh, you begin to lower your walls. You become less resistant, judgmental, and attached to outcome. And people pick up on that. And it creates an attraction because they get a sense that they can be more of who they truly are around you than they can be around others. Yeah. So that's what inspires uh, inspirational leadership. That's real leadership. So tell me then about somebody that you've coached, and you don't have to mention their name. I want to hear about what was their state before you started working with them? What were the recommendations that you gave them? What actions did they take? And then what was the result? within their lives, their career, but also within the workplace. Tell me about that. God. So I've been doing this all over the world for the past <laughs> 20, 22 years. And there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of executives I've worked with, people running multi-billion dollar companies with thousands of employees and Harvard MBAs and PhDs and everything in between. The result is always the same. It helps them to get better results in their career, in their personal life, in their businesses. It raises a level of trust and engagement everywhere. Mm. Everything gets better. It isn't just in one area. It's in every area because this is the root cause solution to the root cause problem. See, most individuals and organizations at best are only dealing with symptoms of the root cause problem. And as long as you just deal with the symptoms instead of the root cause, it keeps coming back. Right. And that's that's why if we just look around, whatever we've been doing isn't working. So as I said, over 80% of all mergers and acquisition and organizational development initiatives fail because at best they're dealing with symptoms, but not the underlying root cause problem. And the underlying root cause problem involves energy physics. Right. So have you seen people resist this idea of growing an emotional intelligence before? Oh, absolutely. All the time. Yeah. See, if you don't have an emotional connection to a desired result that's greater than the fear that gets triggered in you, and I want to talk a little bit about that, when you move outside of your comfort zone, you simply won't be willing to do the work that the development of your emotional intelligence requires. And you'll tell yourself a rational lie. You'll rationalize not doing the work. So here's what actually happens. Here's part of the three resistances to change we have. Two are biological, one sociological. The first one is whenever we take an action that moves us outside of our, our comfort zone, there's a part of our old lizard brain called the amygdala that doesn't want us to do that. So when it sees us moving outside of our comfort zone, it secretes a hormone into our bloodstream called cortisol, Mm -hmm. and it causes the executive center of our brain to shut off, and we go into what psychologists refer to as an amygdala hijack. Some people lash out, some people run away, and some people freeze like a deer in the headlights. It causes us to say and do things we often later regret. When that happens in conflict situations, people die. 
And when it happens in business or personal situations, relationships die. We burn trust. So as an analogy, if you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four-year-old child, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister to quiet the amygdala response down and better enable us to feel the fear and anxiety that changing innovation triggers in us and moves through it towards what we're trying to achieve as opposed to allowing that fear and anxiety to keep us trapped in our comfort zone. That's interesting. So we should feel that fear and anxiety is what you're saying. Absolutely. If you're not feeling that fear and anxiety, you're not changing. You're not moving out of your comfort zone. You're stuck. Right. So what are some other resistances to change? The second one, the second biological source of resistance is our existing habits. Once we develop a habit, it's there forever. It's a neural network pathway we've created in our brain. And although we can develop new habits at any age, it's called brain plasticity or neurogenesis, those new habits are always going to be weaker than our old habits. Because when when we're younger, there's an insulation layer called myelin that goes around the neural network pathway that's thicker when we're younger than when we're older. So there's going to be an ongoing battle between our old and new habits for dominance. So we we need to continue to practice the new habits so they become our dominant way, our default way of behavior. That's interesting. The The third source is sociological, meaning that people around us don't want us to change because if we change and start to get better results, maybe they're going to have to change. and That scares the hell out of them. The best way to ensure they don't have to change is to make sure we fail so they can say, look, I told you so now, keep your head down and come back into the herd with the rest of us. Yeah, and that's that's basically the power that you talk about, right? Where they're trying to take power over you. See, when you're giving away your energy and we're all doing it unconsciously, it automatically creates a deficit in us that causes us to try and steal energy from other people. So as long as we're giving away our energy and stealing the energy of other people, we're part of the problem. We're creating the drama, chaos, and conflict we see everywhere. But when we stop giving away our energy, we no longer need to steal the energy of other people, and we become part of the solution. Yeah. So what are some of the changes you've seen in recent years, especially with COVID? Has that impacted how people grow in emotional intelligence? Absolutely. There's only two sources of motivation that will cause us to be willing to do the emotional labor of leaving our comfort zone in the pursuit of better results. One is pain. The other one is passion. And hardly anybody's connected with their passion. So for the most part, those individuals that have the willingness to do the emotional labor that the development of our emotional intelligence requires, and all of those other good things I mentioned, are usually driven by pain. They're driven by an urgent desire for better results than they're currently getting. And without that urgent desire for better results, without that emotional connection to a desired result that's greater than your fear, I can't help you. Nobody can. You may want better results, but you're not going to get better results because you're unwilling to do the emotional labor that getting better results requires. Right. So in your book, you talk about leadership as a choice, and you also talk about, and and I'll even ask you, are leaders born or are they made? What's your opinion on that? They're not born. They're made. They're developed. Yeah. Leadership's not a, a gene. It's developed based on how you are able to move through your fear, your ego-based fear. That's what develops leadership. 
nothing else. So how do we get to that point? Well, the starting point is you've got you've to develop an emotional connection to something you want to achieve that motivates you to start moving in that direction. Mm. And then I show you how you're giving away your energy. And I give you better habits to practice to stop doing that. And as you start practicing these habits, everything else gets better. That process fixes everything. Yeah. It's interesting that these sound like simple concepts, but I know that that's usually where truth really resides in things that are simple. <laughs> they, they are. You're absolutely correct. These are very, very simple concepts to understand. That's not the challenge. The challenge is putting those concepts into action. See, that's the difference between knowing something intellectually and knowing something experientially. There was a 40-year study done at UC Berkeley that compared intellectual intelligence with emotional intelligence, and they concluded that emotional intelligence was 400% more valuable in determining success than intellectual intelligence. I think it's actually much higher, but let's let's go with their numbers. Yeah. Um, and let me give you an, a numerical example of the difference between intellectual intelligence and emotional intelligence. Sure. So think of think of intellectual intelligence as somebody giving you $10,000 a day for 31 days. So at the end of 31 days, you've got $310,000. Think of emotional intelligence as a penny that doubles in value every day for 31 days. So day one, you've got a penny. Day two, you've got two pennies. Day 31, you've got $10.7 million. Day 40, you've got over $5 billion. Day 50, you've got over $5 trillion. You see, your ability to do intellectual labor is inherited. If you have a high IQ, your parents had a high IQ, their parents had a high IQ, and you simply inherited those genes. So whereas not everybody can have 160 IQ, everybody can develop their emotional intelligence. And the ROI is massively larger than intellectual intelligence. Very often, people are, you probably heard the saying, People are hired for their IQ and experience and fired for a lack of emotional intelligence. Right. Because of the accelerating rate of global change, more and more organizations are hiring, developing, and promoting largely based on emotional intelligence. Do you think, and I believe that to grow in emotional intelligence, it requires being vulnerable. What do you think about that? Absolutely. See, but being vulnerable... (laughs) Great question. Being vulnerable is not a weakness, it's a strength. Not being vulnerable is a weakness. An unwillingness to change guarantees failure. The willingness to lower your walls and be open to change guarantees success. Right. Vulnerability is not a weakness, it's a strength. I like that, Phil. Those are magnificent words that you've shared with us. Let me ask you this as we bring this to a close. I wanted to see if we could synthesize this at a starting point, three action steps. If somebody's listening to this and they say, okay, I'm going to bite. I believe this. I'm going to take first steps to really grow in my emotional intelligence. What would be three action steps you'd recommend that they follow to get started on this journey? The very first thing they need to do is get connected emotionally with something they want to achieve that's motivating them to take action. So take action. The second thing is uh, contact me. 
I'll show them how they're, I'll begin to show them how they're giving away their energy and um, give them better habits to practice to stop doing that. And we'll put all your contact information on the show notes for everybody listening. And the third thing is practice, 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 practice. This is a, these abilities are these micro skills, this awareness, these are lifestyle skills. And as you practice, as you move towards mastery at using these habits, the ROI increases exponentially. Great. And we're going to put all of your contact information, and I'll put the information on your books also on the show notes. And tell us then about your offerings, Phil. What would you like for the people listening to us to know about your services that can help them? I'd like them to consider betting on themselves by developing their emotional intelligence. And I have a program to help them accomplish all the things we've talked about here called the Master of Business Leadership Program. And it's a, um, initially, it's a uh, 13-week program where we get together an hour for an hour a week. And um, you would be amazed, absolutely amazed at the results and the awareness that gets generated in you. Wow, that's great. That sounds like it has a lot that can offer people. And we'll put, like I mentioned, we'll put your links to that information on the show notes also. And Phil, thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. I like the ideas that you've shared. I'm excited about digging deeper into some of the things that you've shared today. And I know that we'll definitely have you back on the show here in the future, Phil. Thank you for being a great guest and sharing all of your wisdom with us today. Oh, thank you, Scott. And I thank you for the work you're doing. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com. <laughs>